Hi G2, so we are continuing our journey through Matthew and this week I was originally hoping that we would be in our small groups, we were launching uh, new discipleship groups, I was really hoping that by this week we would be in them but we're just not quite there yet, we haven't had enough time to get ready for that and so rather than delaying our journey through Matthew I thought it would be better to just do this little one-off teaching where you can watch or listen at home um, and it's just a mini talk, it's not a full length talk. We're, I'm going to read the passage and then just pick out a few bits in the passage to give a little bit of context and understanding and also ask a few questions to give you space for your own discovery. So I really encourage you to open your Bibles or open your uh, Matthew scripture journals if you've bought one and um, look at the passage yourself and just put a bit of time aside this week to really get into the passage and to, to understand it so that we can continue to track through Matthew together as our community. So we are reading Matthew 3 and it's verse, uh, verses 1 to 12. John the Baptist prepares the way. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So obviously in this passage we meet John the Baptist um, and it's not the first time that we um, meet John. We actually first hear about John in the Gospel of Luke when we find out that Elizabeth is pregnant with him. And it says in that gospel that Elizabeth is a, a relative of Mary, who um, is Jesus's mum. And we know from the scriptures that Elizabeth is really old, too old to have a baby. So it's a miracle that she gets pregnant. And we know that Mary is really young, probably too young to have a baby. And we know that she's a virgin. And so it's a miracle that Mary gets pregnant. Um, and so with that age gap, I wonder if um, Elizabeth is an auntie or a great auntie or a mum's cousin or that kind of distant relative, but they were related. And we know that John was born six months before Jesus. So they most likely grew up together. They were probably like as close as brothers as they grew up as they were children and then became close friends as men. And um, it's it's just interesting that we know that G John started his life 
basically one step ahead of Jesus. He lived his life one step ahead of Jesus. He started his ministry just ahead of Jesus. And we also know from Matthew 14 that he died just ahead of Jesus. So um, I'm just going to pick out a few things from the passage that I think are interesting and that I can unpack. But there's loads in there and I'm not going to go into every single thing. Um, I just want to give space for you to do that. But I'm just going to pick out a few things and explain it. So John began preaching um, by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what's interesting is that Jesus um, followed shortly his ministry, starting with the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can find that in Matthew 4 verse 17. So John starts by teaching repentance and then Jesus also starts by teaching repentance. John first, then Jesus. It's um, an interesting parallel. Now, you may already know this, but the prophet Malachi, who lived 400 years earlier and who was Israel's last prophet before John the Baptist came on the scene, prophesied John's appearance. This is what um, is written in Malachi 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Behold, he comes, says Yahweh of armies. And in Malachi 4 verse 5 to 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of Yahweh comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So like I said, there'd been no prophet in Israel for four centuries and the Jewish people would have been anxious to hear from a prophet. They'd been waiting, they would know about this prophecy and they'd been waiting for the fulfilment of this. And John fits the bill, calling the people into repentance in preparation for the coming of God's kingdom. But you might have noticed that in that second verse from Malachi, they had been promised the prophet Elijah. And now here was John. Well, later in this gospel, Jesus identifies John as Elijah, the fulfillment of these prophecies. But there are clues here in our passage for today in Matthew um, by the description of the clothing. Now, often when we read the Gospels, we don't get the kind of level of detail that describes exactly what someone looked like or what they were wearing, but we do get that detail. Matthew gives us that detail when he describes John. He says, now John himself wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. Now, what's interesting is that in 2 Kings 1 verse 8, it says Elijah wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt. So I think Matthew is giving us that clue that perhaps this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And uh, later on in Matthew, we'll see that Jesus makes these connections even more explicit. Here in um, Matthew 11, verse 14, he says, this is Elijah who is to come. And then in Matthew 17, verse 12, he says, I tell you that Elijah has come already and they didn't recognise, but did to him whatever they wanted. And Matthew goes on to explain, then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So I've got a really interesting um, 
fulfillment of a prophecy here. Now, I just want to pick out that it says John preached in the wilderness of Judea. Now, this was a very strange place to be preaching and to start your preaching ministry. It was a region of rugged gorges and badlands in the eastern part of Judah, where the land kind of sloped off towards the Jordan Valley. And in ancient times, this area would have been infested with wild animals. It's a place that very few humans chose to live. Now, the clues are there that John had probably lived there for a while, given what we know he ate and how he dressed. But nevertheless, to start your ministry there is interesting. And I wonder why he did that. That's something for maybe you to think about or have a look. Why would he start his ministry in this place? What's the significance of this place? We see the phrase, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven means the kingdom of God, which is the phrase that is used in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. But Matthew uses this phrase for the kingdom of heaven. And we only see that um, that phrase in the Gospel of Matthew, who uses it over 30 times. Matthew is writing to Jewish Christians and he uses this phrase kingdom of heaven to honour their reluctance to use God's holy name in case they somehow profane it. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is that realm in which God is king. We see in verse three, it says, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is Matthew citing Isaiah 40 verse 3 and it's a verse that is quoted in all four Gospels. We see it in Mark 1 verse 2, we see it in Luke 3 verse 4 and we see it in John 1 verse 23 as well. And it's in its original context in um, the book of Isaiah, it spoke of preparing the way for the people of Israel to return from exile to their homeland. So it signified a joyful vision of a God-blessed and God-facilitated journey through an otherwise deadly wilderness. And now Matthew tells us that while Isaiah's prophecy pointed to that historic journey, its ultimate fulfilment is taking place now as John prepares the way for Jesus, calling people to repent and baptising those who confess their sins. The earlier exile and return to, is, um, to, to return to Israel had the purpose of redeeming Israel from its sin. John's preaching and Jesus' coming have a similar redemptive purpose. So there's a bit of significance in, in that particular quote, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, in verse 7 to 10, it says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Don't think to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. It is surprising that the Pharisees and the Sadducees came for baptism. They think of themselves as righteous. So why would they come to receive 
baptism from John. Perhaps as religious leaders, they wanted to establish some sort of connection to this powerful new prophet's ministry. Perhaps they see his authenticity or perhaps they're just jumping on a kind of popular religious bandwagon like everyone, like, you know, they see lots of people doing it and they think, I want a bit of that. Well, later on, Jesus will say to the chief priests and elders, most of whom are Pharisees and Sadducees, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. When you saw it, you didn't even repent afterwards that you might believe him. So later on, Jesus accuses the um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that you didn't believe him even when you had the chance to repent. It's also surprising to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees grouped together in this way. They represented really different viewpoints. They were um, both religious sects at the time, but often at odds with each other. They didn't really agree on a lot of things. The Pharisees were known for their very, very strict adherence to the law, um, and they followed like the, the law very, very strictly, um, and they had a strong resistance to pagan culture, whereas the Sadducees were more likely to be wealthy, they were friendly towards the Romans, um, they dominated the priesthood, lots of um, the members of the Sanhedrin, which is like the political council, they were um, often Sadducees. Um, and the Pharisees accepted oral law and resurrection, which the Sadducees re reject. So they were not often sort of uh, seen together or reported together in this way. So I wonder what it is that Matthew is showing us by grouping them together, because he would know that, he'd know that level of detail. And John says to them, you offspring of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. This is a really um, quite aggressive denunciation of them. Normally you would see religious leaders um, receiving respect, even if you don't agree with their viewpoints. But John is having absolutely none of it. And he, he calls them a brood of vipers. He, he's um, seeing that they maintain the temple and they perform the required rituals, but their religious um, observance has like hardened their hearts and um, Matthew can accord them no respect at all because their lives do not reflect the adherence to the will of God. Don't think to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, John says to them. And at, at its core, the sin of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is presumption. They presume that they are among God's chosen people, the elite religious, at the very top of the religious pyramid. And John warns them that their Abrahamic connection will not save them. Their connection to Abraham is not going to save them. Um, because there is someone else coming and only he can save them. And so he finishes by saying, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we know who he is pointing to here and who he is saying is coming. He is paving the way for Jesus. 
So I've given you a bit of food for thought there, but I'll just leave you with some questions to consider. You might want to think about these on your own. You might want to have a chat with someone else about them. So um, do you think that there is a reason that John preached out in the wilderness? This isn't, there isn't like a right or wrong answer to this. There isn't a secret answer that I know. I'm, I'm genuinely curious about this. Why did he start his preaching ministry in the wilderness? <clears throat> Imagine you are a new believer at the time. Imagine that you are um, a Jewish person and you, are, you believe that the Messiah is coming. You believe in the, the prophets. Are you drawn to John here more out of fear or out of love or out of something else? And I wonder if that's different to how you're drawn to Jesus today. And my final question, if you knew that Jesus was going to come back in a month's time, say, if I could promise you Jesus is definitely going to return in a month, then what would you do? I wonder how your priorities might change. <laughs>